You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids talks with Daniel Boisvert, Vice President of Marketing at Export Development Canada. Daniel, I'd love to just start off with a quick, maybe just 30 seconds on your background. Looks like you've been in the marketing space since the early 90s. So I'd love to get a sense over the last 30 years, kind of how you've evolved and, and what you've seen in the industry as the evolution. Yes, as you mentioned, John, I started my career in the early 90s. And at the time, you know, the World Wide Web did not exist. So a lot of change, things have changed uh, since then. One of the big things I, I did in my career, I was a uh, President and CEO of Sympathico Lycos at the time, you know, at the beginning of the year 2000. And since then, things have changed tremendously. You remember that Google started in 1998, right? So it was really the beginning of SEO and SEM. Social media did not really exist at the time. It was like, it was about to start. Uh, Facebook was founded in 2004. And at the time, you were lucky if in terms of bandwidth, you had one meg modem. Right now, we have one gig and up. So a lot of change, things have changed. Video is, uh, is present. YouTube launched in 2005. So we see you know, all these things happening, and they are accelerating and changing the marketing landscape. And do you remember moments in your career, maybe when Facebook came along or when Google came or even Yahoo? Do you remember moments in your career where you kind of had an aha moment and said, oh, this is going to be big? Yeah, well, I remember at the time, you know, the search engine were not that efficient, right? So we had a few at Sympatico and then we had a meeting in Google, with Google and they were just a young startup at the time. And you said, well, gee, that is amazing. You can get simple and quick search result and the download time was so fast. So we said, well, there is something big that's going to happen there for sure. And, you know, search may eventually dominate the world if it's well done. And, and we saw what happens. I think that was a big one. The second one is that with more bandwidth, you could do way more. So increasing, you know, the capacity that computers and ISP, internet service providers, were offering to consumer were kind of, well, we said at the time, well, that's going to be big and it's going to be huge, especially if we eventually have, you know, meg, multiple megs and potentially gigabits, which we are enjoying right now. So I think these were the two uh, revolutions that I saw. Yeah. So you were at Sympatico Lycos, which I think was the Canadian partnership between Lycos and Bell. Was it? Was that right? Exactly. That's right. And so what was, I think a lot of our listeners might be even too young to remember, what was Lycos? Well, Lycos was an American portal. It was among the top five with the Yahoo and the AOL of this world. And they had a lot of technologies, neat technology at the time. So we said that to increase our reach and to provide better experience to Canadians, it would be good to bring you know the best of Sympatico and what we had at the time plus the best tool from Lyco. So we merged, well, we kind of did a joint venture and we took the best out of Lycos to offer that. And at the time, I remember our reach was roughly 10 to 15% of Canadian population. And our, by bringing the two together, we were able to bring that to 70 to 80%. And then, you know, Bell did the uh, partnership with MSN, which increased, you know, the reach even more. So it was really a way for Bell to have a presence, a strong presence with Canadians at the time. So we, we were successful in increasing our reach significantly. 
I remember that it was a it was the dominant site, Simpatico MSN at the time. So yeah. here's what I'm curious about, and I love talking to people who have had front row seats over the decades. When you look back on, say, Lycos or MSN, or maybe it's some other platform that you worked with, and you look at what happened over 10, 20, 30 years, is there anything you can point to in retrospect, because hindsight is twenty twenty, to say, I can see why these guys won. I can see why Google won. I can see why Facebook won. I can see why Twitter won to a certain extent. Are there things that you can see at the time? Or do you think a lot of it is really just chance and timing? Well, I think it goes beyond chance. If I start really at the beginning, at Simpatico, it was easier because we were the ISP. And by default, people were just coming to us. They didn't know how to change you know, the, the address. So they were coming to us and it was easier. So that's not chance. It was just you know pure technology. And then when I look at at what people were trying to do, especially with Google, they were looking at something simple that was relevant and get great results. So Google was able to do that. Other search engines were not that great at the time. So I think that you know people recognize that if you can do something for free, top quality, always available, it's a value proposition that is really hard to beat. And then you know you had the YouTube that brought you know videos, free videos to everyone and eventually morphed to the how-to. So, so that also was a significant breakthrough. And finally, social media allow connection. In the past, we used to call each other. Now we can connect to each other easily, cheaply around the world. So these were game changer. Skype was a game changer also for international telecommunication. So, so I think it's not chance. I mean, the value proposition is great. You can do what you want to do cheaply, 24 hours, seven days a week around the world. I think it, it goes beyond chance. Let's fast forward to Export Development Canada, where you are now. And this actually, the through line that I can see in your career is you've been a vice president of marketing or a, a marketing executive at multiple companies in telecom and now in finance. So the first thing, my first question is jumping over from telecom to finance. And these are all big organizations you've been a part of. Are organizations in different industries more different or more similar when it comes to running a marketing org? Well, from a marketing standpoint, I did spend a lot of my career on the B2B space. So talking to businesses from a telecom standpoint or now from a, a financial solution standpoint, there are obviously similarities. I spent also a bunch of my career in the, an international market. And I mean, you know, when you're selling to Asia or selling to Europe, there's a need to have an understanding of what's happening in different countries and different regions of the world. So, so I think as part of that, it's things that you can transport from the telecommunication world to the financial world. My expertise in marketing also applies to many sectors. So what I've learned in terms of branding and positioning and acquisition and retention is still really relevant for what I'm doing right now at uh, Export Development Canada. So I'm using that on a day-to-day -day basis. We have marketing campaign, we have brand campaign, we want to increase our reach, we're, we are you know, building acquisition and retention strategy, we have a website, we do have you know, multi-channels, all these, these things that I've learned and developed throughout the year in the tech industry is still applicable in the, on the financial sector. What do you think is the biggest difference between B2B and B2C? You obviously have been involved in B2C and, and telecoms, although maybe you were doing more of the business marketing there. But what are the big distinctions between those two in your mind? 
Well, the first one is the decision makers, right? If you look at the way it works on the B2B side, at least you know at EDC, when we are proposing financial or investment solution, it's really you have many decision makers. You have the CEO, you have the CFO, you have different people that's going to look at their expansion plan and eventually make a decision on, on what they need to do. The other thing is the path to purchase, right? So the path is a bit different. It's, it's more rational. The sales cycles are longer. On the B2C side, you're typically talk to an individual and the, the path to purchase is, is kind of, it's a bit different. It's a way faster. I think at the end of the day, there are also similarities, John. When you look at who are you talking to, you're talking to real people and real people do have B2C experiences. So when I look at my voice of customers or my survey, people are always saying, well, I can do that on the digital side. I'd love to do the same thing on the B2C side. I'd love to do the, the same thing with you at EDC on the B2B side. So, so talking to real people, they need also excellent customer services. So if the benchmark is high elsewhere, well, they're going to expect that from us. They also want to have a customer-centric approach. So, so there are you know, similarities, but I think the, the two big ones are really number of decision maker, more rational, and also the path to purchase and the sales cycle, which are a bit different. Yeah, decision makers, path to purchase. The other big one that I often talk about is the idea of time in market to buy. The reality is in B2C, your customer is always in market to buy. And in B2B, there are small windows when they're in market to buy. And so when they're not in market, your job is to be creating demand, creating thought leadership so that when that window opens up, you're on their mind. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You need to be relevant and timely. And uh, in order to do that, you need to nurture your customers. So when they are not ready to buy, the trick is how can you make sure that they get their relevant content? How do you make sure that they get advice, support that they need to eventually, when they are ready, that then you're top of mind and they can pick you instead of picking somebody else. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. So let's talk about B2B strategies right now. A lot of our listeners are B2B marketers mid-size and large-size businesses. So what do you think are one or two powerful vehicles today for reaching the business buyer? I think content is, uh, matters a lot. So having you know, a, a great content strategy and, and making sure that your content is, is relevant, it's timely, and it helps the businesses do the job that they need to do, right? So that's easier said than done. And in order to do that, you need to clearly understand what's their need. Because right now, the needs are evolving so quickly. So you need to, uh, to be in touch in the market, get feedback, and make sure that you provide what they are looking for. The other thing I believe, John, is from a B2B standpoint, customers are bombarded with a lot of things, right? They are receiving... I, I'm just looking at my inbox on a daily basis. I receive a ton of emails and content and it's sometimes hard for them to decide what makes sense. So in order to be top of mind, you need to be precise and targeted. And I think that being targeted and personalizing the approach to a sector or to why you know what you are offering will make sense for them and will make a difference is key as well. 
the days of spray and pray marketing are, are long gone. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you look at channels when I think about channels that worked for the last, let's say, 50 or 100 years, you know, you think about things like television and out-of-home advertising and maybe magazine, print, that sort of thing. Are those channels that you still are looking at closely or are you much more focused really on the digital acquisition channels? Well, in terms of our overall spending, we spend more on digital, but we see that there's still good engagement with traditional media, especially during the pandemic. We saw that TV and video was quite popular. So we use that. And during the pandemic, we had a great campaign called Business as Unusual. And it really resonated with our customers because what we were trying to do is really to help them, you know, navigate through all the risk and the tough economies and the challenges they had. So we use TV to make sure that they know we are there to support them. And it was quite powerful. So we still do that. Obviously, less print, a bit of radio, but most of our spending right now is on the digital side. How do you think you're thinking about marketing and sort of managing a marketing P&L has changed over the years? And I'm asking because as, as I look at your roles, obviously, you've been a practitioner. You started off, I'm guessing, actually executing the marketing, and then you moved into a, a leadership role. What sort of things do you look at today that maybe a marketer listening who wants to advance in their career, what kind of things are you thinking about? Well, the first thing I'm, I'm looking at is customer feedback and voice of the customer. So always try to connect as much as we can, as I can, with what the customers are telling us and what's happening and what are the changes and what are they experiencing. So, so I think, you know, being connected with the customer, it sounds simple, but I think that's a key one. The second thing that I'm looking is our brand. So are we really delivering on our brand promises? And is there a match between what we're saying and what the customer is expecting? And if not, well, why? And what can we do about that? The third thing that matters a lot to me is the customer experience. So are we providing a great customer experience? And if customers are feeling having pain points, what are we doing actually to at least remove or alleviate them? So, so I think these are three things that, that I need to do. And, and the last one I would say is try to connect the brand, the customer experience, and the employee experience. Because if you're strong on the three, it really, really makes a huge difference for the customers. And you can see that your metrics and the way you are measuring your customer overall are really increasing. In our industry, we are very good in terms of NPS and our scores. So I think that's because you know we're we're connecting, you know, again, the brand, the customer experience, and the employee experience together. Yeah, I'm hearing you say in, in all three of those answers, I'm hearing you say customer, 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 which yeah. is actually very refreshing because a lot of the time when you speak to marketers, it's about brand, it's about us, not them. And I think that's actually a really important insight is the fact that the the success of what you do is based on what the customer thinks, not what you think. Is yeah. that something that you have to impart on your team a lot? Well. As a business right now at EDC, we are moving away from being a, a product kind of enterprise to a customer-centric enterprise. And uh, I think that, you know, within my team and when I talk to the sales folks, I mean, it's going well. So it's not about our people. It's more about our system. So how are we delivering customer-centric solutions? So it's the ecosystem that matters. And sometimes we have processes and systems 
that are not always too customer centric. So, so that's the issue. It's not our people. I think our people are really focused on making what makes sense for the customers and also for EDC. But sometimes our processes and things that we have in place needs to change in order to, to facilitate interaction with our business. How do you think about popular consumer channels or popular media channels? I'm thinking TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, in the context of B2B marketing, because you know that your customers are there. I mean, if there's a couple billion people using these various platforms, clearly your customer might be there. How do you think about your voice and your brand and your presence on a platform like, let's say, TikTok, where people are a little less serious, a little more irreverent? Is that a place you think you need to be or not? And why? Well, at this point in time, when we look at where the Canadian exporters are, we don't really see them on TikTok. So we're not active on TikTok. And it's not a channel that we're planning to use for now. It may evolve over time. But right now, that's not where they are. One of the channels that is good for us is, is LinkedIn. Because as part of LinkedIn, we can make connection with the businesses, but we can connect them with other businesses that are, are doing the same thing. So LinkedIn is, is, is a good channel. We're also active on, on Facebook and Instagram, but again, less on TikTok. And it's same for the future. So right now we are discussing marketing of the future and we're talking about metaverse. Well, metaverse is interesting, but exporters are not actually there. So it's kind of on, on our radar. And the way I'm looking at, at that, John, is really looking at it from three horizons. So what do we have right now? And how can we do more with what we have? The second horizon is what are the new things that we can build that could add you know, value to the Canadian exporters? And the third horizon is what are the options of the future? So what are the things that we need to keep on our radar? And eventually, if it makes sense for a customer, then we'll make sure that we have a presence and we make the right choices. I totally agree. I think that LinkedIn is over the last year, year and a half has really exploded, moved from a online resume job search site to a real content site. They've done a great job at that. And we see lots of clients doing well there. What types of content or tactics, what outcomes do you see from LinkedIn that are telling you that it's working? Well, overall in social media, when we see that things are working, it's really on engagement. So if customers are coming and they are looking at our at our ad, let's say, or the content that we're putting on, on LinkedIn, and then they come to our website and they start doing things, that's where we see that there is something going on. And eventually, you know, our customer will register on myedc.ca and then they're going to have access to webinar. And once they have access to webinar and they are consuming content, eventually they might be interested in having our financial solution in order for them to be successful. And from there, they're going to buy you know, a new solution and eventually they're going to grow. So our goal is really to help Canadian businesses expand globally, not only in the US, which is our obviously our biggest export market, but also in other regions of the world. So if we're able to get you know, from first connection to using our content and advisory solution, eventually our financial solution, and then Having them being successful on the global scene, I think we are making a difference, not only for the businesses, but for Canada as well. Well said. Well, this was great, Daniel. Anything you can leave us with in terms of what you're thinking about for 2023? Well, maybe a, a few thoughts, John. I think that looking forward, and since the world is changing so fast, I believe that being customer-centric and looking to what the customers has to see is key. And 
one of the things that is obvious is being customer-centered content marketing. So how can you make sure that what you are you are exchanging or giving to the customer makes sense for them? I think there's also a lot that's going to happen from a social responsibility standpoint. Things like marketing for good and marketing for a better world. I think that there is a big trend there. And at, at least on our side, we see that and it's something that that we want to continue. And more on the channel side, the uh, video is going to be continue to be big. And we are experiencing right now with podcasts. We had an initial podcast and it was a start. We have a pilot, but we'd love to do more on that side because we see that exporters are also listening to podcasts. So that's something that we have uh, we are piloting right now. So hopefully we can uh, launch something in 2023 that would be you know, an EDC-wide podcast. So. Amazing. Okay, Daniel, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at influicity.com.